0: 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good afternoon. The time is 1 pm on Sunday, the 3rd of April, and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it's Pastoral CPD Click number 9 and it's Social, Emotional, and Mental Health. I'll be joined by Lee Pritchard, the Head of UK Regional Development at Thrive Approach, to discuss what her organisation does and what support they provide to students, staff, Live from London, this is the Sunday
0: Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio.
1: Hello, hello, hello. If it always feels like, wow, my voice just broke right at the start of the show. <laughs> it feels like for some reason, feel it feels like for some reason that I've been away for a long time. I think I've only missed a week. I think I've only missed a week. As I said in the intro, this is Pastoral CPD Clinic number nine. What that means is, is that there's a Pastoral CPD Clinic one through eight. So if it's your first time listening in to number nine and you think you enjoy the show, then by all means, find us on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. The TT Radio website forward slash listen back all that good stuff, and you'll be able to find pastoral CPD clinic one two three four five six seven and eight. Or if you're more continental uno dos tres cuatro cinco seis siete ocho o uno dos tres cuatro cinco seis siete ocho oh gosh yes wheat something who knows. Um, those are the other pastoral CBD clinics. They've always got, as you can imagine, a pastoral focus. And as I said in the intro, today's focus is on social, emotional and mental health, a subject very dear to my heart in my role at school. Um, what do I do at school, you ask? Well, I'm a DSL and I'm also the mental health kind of and well-being lead. Um, a difficult job, a challenging job, but one that I much, much, much enjoy. Um, so today's show has got a social, emotional, mental health focus and as i said in the intro i'll be joined by lee pritchard who is the head of uk regional development at thrive approach if you're wondering what thrive approach is you'll find out You've got to stay tuned you'll find everything out about thrive approach but you can find them on twitter at thrive approach um rather unsurprisingly so for the, for the when i invite uh lee on slightly later on in the show um i'll be talking to her about everything the organization has to offer in this current climate of I don't know how to describe it. We've got mental health is is on its top tier of things that I deal with on a daily basis, I'd say. Welcome to people already in the room. Welcome to Tom Rogers. It's been a long time since I've seen you in the studio, Mr. Rogers. You've been missing my show, mate. Long time since I've seen the studio. It's great to have you here. Um, and I see, um, Oh, I think that might, we've got SP Rich. That might actually be my guest, to be fair. Um, and then also we've got, I don't know how to pronounce his name, we've got Achi Sao. Tuwani, if i mispronounce your name i apologize just like i say in the register if i did mispronounce your name i apologize but thank you for joining so early and being so punctual most of my more avid listeners rock up nice and late about 10 past and quarter past. they don't know time so as always i like to run through how my week's been it's easter holidays um but also i should say i think i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna i think ramadan mubarak um to all my all the people celebrating Ramadan in this time of year, anyone that's celebrating Easter well coming up to celebrating Easter, many festive greetings to you, and anyone that's just celebrating the fact that we're no longer at school. Seasons, greetings, festive greetings, greetings, greetings to you as well. If you haven't broken up for Easter, I apologize, but it means you've probably got one more week and you can gloat in about two or three weeks' time. How has everyone's term been? Mine has been Mine's been a roller coaster. Mine, I can't even describe mine. Mine has been busy, 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 busy. Just safeguarding stuff coming out my ears, man. Um, so it's been a very busy term. Uh, lots of meetings, lots of disclosures, lots of all that stuff, and a lot of mental health. Um, needs cropping up if you work in mental health you have a mental health focus in your school i'm sure you have the same things where we've got a lot of self-harm on the rise we've got on a we've got a lot of suicide ideation on the rise we have anxiety through the roof um there's a lot of things going on uh, Is it is indeed lee pritchard that's in the room already nice and punctually um i'll bring you in in about 10 minutes or so i like to always run through what i've been talking about this week i always like to scroll down my twitter to see what's been going on what i've been talking about this week um earlier this week i spoke about ah this 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 was an interesting one so i played football um this weekend tom hopkins but lovely to see you in the studio a couple people i've not seen in the studio for a while the old the old heads are cropping up but nice to see you gents um so i played football this weekend um i played for a team from a lot of people I went to uni, well, I didn't go to uni with all of them, but it's uni old boys team. And before the match, the, as I tweeted, the referee did, did well. The referee felt a bit busy. He felt like he was trying to impress and he was gonna do a, a bit of a kit check. So they have to check, obviously you've got the right kit on, obviously. Then also jewellery um, and they ban, you can't wear any jewellery or earrings or anything else. For a bit of context, I'm the only black guy on the team. So a bit, and the ref was black, bit of context. So before the game, the ref goes, right lads, Uh, let me do a couple jewelry checks Make sure you got no jewelry looks at me and he goes sure you got a bit of bling on mate and i had to look at him i gave him a bit of a kind of a are we doing this like in front of in front of an audience is that is that what we're doing um power shiver welcome um and then i had to kind of check him i said please don't profile me is what i said to him and he kind of chuckled he kind of laughed it off he probably thought i was half joking the ironic thing was, of course, yes, um, he was black, so maybe he thought he could get away with it. And I guess the most ironic thing was I did have a chain, it just wasn't on. Um, I usually do. I like to wear a chain. Makes it look makes it look good. Makes it look shiny and sparkly. Um, but I didn't appreciate the fact that he saw me and thought, right, you're going to have some bling on. I still appreciate it. And the rest of the lads, always looked, everyone just looked a bit awkward. <laughs> everyone looked a bit, a bit awkward. And then we just got on with the game. And one lad was like, you're right there, mate. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just 30 years old and I'm not used to a referee profile A of be on a Saturday afternoon. Either way, so that cropped up this weekend. What else came up this weekend? Ah, ah I read one of my tweets. I tweeted out um, the following. And the tweet said, I don't know how many of you guys in the chat room agree with me, but I am this way inclined. If something can be said in a text message, then please don't call me. I despise phone calls. I despise them. I don't know if anyone else in the chat is the same, or maybe you feel like maybe I'm just antisocial. I do not like speaking on the phone, unless it's for a very specific purpose that can't be adequately um, dealt with via message. But that's a very small subset of topics. We're talking like an interview, for example. But most things, I just, I don't know why it is that I don't like phone calls. I don't know. I like to talk, but at the same time, I feel like they just take up too much of my attention. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, f- I like being able to message two, three, four people at once. I feel like you have to be very committed to a phone call and then you have to like fill silences and there's a lot of pressure and I don't like it. I don't know if you guys feel the same in the chat. Maybe I'm just antisocial, who knows, but I'm not a fan of phone calls either. Um, so if, if you're listening in or you know me personally and you're listening back um, and you ever have a message to say to me, just text it to me, please don't call me. And that goes for colleagues (laughs) that goes for friends that goes for family um maybe i'm just anti-social maybe but i'm just not a fan of phone calls hopefully i'm not alone when i tweeted out a couple people retweeted and said yeah 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 me as well which was good to hear so i wasn't i wasn't alone in that but i wonder how you guys feel whether you're pro phone call anti phone call who knows um but i'm definitely anti phone call i feel like it's the same thing as when um Same thing as when you get like, when you have a meeting in person, when they could have just sent you an email, like it's the same thing. So I'm not a fan of phone calls in that sense. And the last thing that I was talking about before we get into this, I don't know how many of you lot in your schools, if you work in schools at the moment, this bloody knuckles thing. Bloody, if you know about bloody knuckles, let me know in the chat. Is this going, is is this becoming a trend in your school? It's becoming a trend in my school. What is bloody knuckles you say? Well, it's just the old school game where you flick a coin at someone's knuckles with the aim of what? Making them cry with agony and cause them to bleed and cut their knuckles. And the kids are trying to do it in school, thinking it's cool. And it bothers the hell out of me. It it just bothers me. I don't like the game. I don't like the game. And it's the TikTok has made it kind of, has rejuvenated it. Because I'm pretty sure this game was around. I keep calling it game. It's not a game. This activity of pain was around way before TikTok. But yeah, somehow these TikTok trends of, um, well, it has, a, it has a potential to revitalize any and everything. There were TikTok, I don't know how many of you guys had water fights in your school about a week or two ago. Maybe, I think it was a week ago. And that came from TikTok. There was just people just glamorizing water fights. I saw water fights in schools, water fights in classrooms, water fights in, in like the kind of atrium spaces, playgrounds, outside of school. Just everyone was deciding, oh, now we're gonna do some water fights. TikTok is taken over the world. Absolutely taking over the world. It's the bane of my life in my role. The bane of my life in my role. Uh, most issues I have to deal with have got something to do with TikTok. So it bothers me. Bothers, bothers, bothers me. So I don't know how many of you guys work in schools listening back. Cool. And the final thing I tweeted about was Easter eggs. I'm a massive fan of Easter eggs. Hopefully, you guys, of course, you guys, I'm assuming you guys like chocolate. I don't know if Mr. Tom Rogers likes chocolate as much as he likes Diet Coke, um, but I'm a massive fan of Easter eggs. And I tweeted that I like them out of the fridge cold with that snap oh yeah that's that's my kind of easter that's my kind of easter egg right what we're gonna do as always is about it's just gone 110 my laptop feels a bit strange it keeps glitching hopefully you can hear me clearly let me know in the chat if i'm cutting in or out because my laptop keeps flickering i'm hoping it's just a um a visual thing and not an audio thing so hopefully i'm all right um Wonderful. Thank you, Mr. Tom Hopkins-Burke. We're going to run the intro one more time. Then I'm going to get Lee Pritchard on and we're going to talk all things social, emotional, mental health. And we're also going to speak about the Thrive, well, Thrive approach and what they have to offer, not only students, but hopefully parents and also the staff in our schools. Live from London,
0: this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: It is still me, it is still Sunday, it is now 112 on the 3rd of April, and you're still tuned in to Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. It's Pastoral CPD Clinic number nine, and it's all about S E M H. So social, emotional, mental health. We're gonna find out about Threat Reproach. I'm gonna to talk to Lee Pritchard to discuss what her organization does and what support they provide to students, staff, and parents.
0: Live from London, this is the Sunday lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers talk radio tune in live on the podbean app or desktop player just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash tt radio or search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio
1: okie dokie wonderful so um we're going to get into this and we're going we're gonna to talk all things social motion social emotional and mental health um and we're, well, yeah, we're just going to talk about that and see what what we can do and what advice we can give to schools struggling maybe in this time. You yeah, know, we're going to see what we can do to promote positive social, emotional, mental health of our students, our staff, and also our parents. Okay, we've got the guest hopefully in the studio. Lee Pritchard, can you call in when you can, please? And I'll bring you into the studio. So I'm just going to, there we go, loud and clear. Hello, Lee, can you hear me?
2: Hi, can you hear me?
1: I can indeed. Loud and clear. Oh, that's good. <laughs> go. See, techno- technology is always, technology works well. Technology works well. I guess you, did you have that kind of pre show jitters, one if it was going to work or not?
2: Oh yes. I, I was really concerned about the tech. I've charged everything to the max this morning just to make sure. But it's lovely to speak to you and to hear you clearly.
1: Thank you. No, thank you. That, that, you, can just, you can attribute that to my microphone. I've got a nice little fancy <laughs> mic that I, like, that I like to use. So, yes, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk about, all, as you know, we're going to talk about social, emotional, mental health and how we can try and support. Because as I'm sure you're aware, in this time, um, it's, it's come to the fore. But just for the first little bit, just so our listeners know who you are, Lee, can you give a little intro about your kind of background, um, how you got to where you are and what your connection is with the kind of um, social, emotional, mental health world at the moment?
2: Yes, of course I can. So um, I started off as a teacher. Um, I was teaching in primary settings. I've taught in England and Wales. I was a senior leader and um, a SENCO in three different local authorities. Um, I was then seconded in to work for my local authority um, with a remit of reducing um, exclusion and permanent exclusion. Um, and I think at that time, we'd been on a tour of intervention, basically, to try and find something that worked for our children and young people. Um, we'd been on a tour of intervention right across every everything I think I can... Um, find out about um, interventions we had tried um, and it wasn't working Um, I got sent on an October night I was very grumpy I have to say that Um, (laughs) it was wet it was cold and I'd gone to hear about yet another thing that um, we could try and at that time our referrals into our service were um, phenomenally high the staff that I was working with were trying their level best, and you know, all the schools really working hard to try and support children and young people. And we were still at a crisis point. Um, and that night, um, I attended the first Thrive Awareness, um, and you probably can hear from my voice that I'm Welsh um, in Wales um, for Thrive Approach. Um, and I readily confess that the first thing that attracted me was um, the uh, data that we could show outcome for social emotional learning through the tracking system, through the screening online tool that they had. So got quite excited that I could evidence things and and social emotional development. And I was very lucky to be trained as a licensed practitioner at that point and then um, went on to be a trainer for Thrive. And um, I absolutely state very clearly that undergoing that training in how i could best support children and young people changed me as a person as a parent and as a practitioner i learned so much through that opportunity and um just wish that i'd had that information earlier in my career i think and certainly earlier as a parent um, and then i went on to work for them which was is a massive privilege i get to talk to audiences sharing my experience and how I, um, all the things that I've learnt and as a senior trainer, training other trainers in Thrive as well. So, yeah, that's been my journey, if you like, over the last, gosh, 25 years. I'm giving my age away when I say that, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it sounds very, <laughs> I'm no, I'm gonna always say no, no comment. I've been taught by my mum not to ask a, a woman at four <laughs> Make any, <laughs> make any any comment towards on I've learned that. So yeah. So I'm, from what if I wish. So what I'm what I, mental health for me. So what's happened? What my perspective on it is. We've currently got a generation coming up. So we're talking about the young kids at the moment, the primary school, secondary yeah. school age, that are more aware, more cognizant, more in tune with it, and more open about it than the people that are either trying to parent them or trying to teach them do you
2: I, i think that's a really good point yeah potentially i think they're learning um i always talk about as a parent of a 16 year old and a parent of a 21 year old myself um i always think that um they have a much wider um set of understanding or guidebooks if you like in life the next generation always seems to have more information than the previous one so absolutely do i agree with that um as an adult and as a parent, as a practitioner, I see it as my duty to try and understand their guidebooks that they use and the, the way that they develop, the the understanding that they have. I don't always get it right, um, but I what I also know is I have the capacity to fix the rupture when it goes wrong. So mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm sorry I got that wrong for you then, bit like the referee that you had oh, when you played yeah. your football I was listening Indeed. to. You know, we're none of us perfect, and we get it wrong. What he I would have—you
1: didn't apologize, though. You know, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. He didn't, he didn't
1: apologize. apologize. He didn't apologize. No, he just laughed. He just laughed it off, and thought. Okay. I think, I think he thought that I was half. Like I think he because he said it. In, I knew he said it in jest. So I think he thought that I was responding in jest, and we're just having a kind of a back and forth. But my face was—I didn't, mm. I didn't. I didn't have the face of someone that was. Um, that was in yeah so he
2: didn't (laughs) yeah he didn't attune did he He didn't get it he didn't he didn't understand what that meant for you so he Mm. got it wrong and he caused a rupture in your relationship and communicating that um I think young people maybe are much more able to say hang on a minute you've got that wrong for me or they might show us in their behavior that we've got it wrong often um, but stepping into that as an adult and being able to say, do you know what? I'm really sorry I got that wrong for you then. And it, and what is it that we can do to make that right? It's really right. important that as adults and as teachers and as senior leaders, we are able to say, I got that wrong for you and I'm sorry.
1: No, I agree. And I feel like one of the things I do a lot with um, my role is I do a lot with pastoral things, as you can imagine. And yeah. it's straight, like I find it quite often some I'd, I've dealt in the past with some teachers who seem to find it very difficult to apologize. And I find, yeah. I always found yeah. it very, I find it very kind of, it was disconcerting for me to then to, to see a teacher who knows they've got it wrong. But then they're like, Oh, I'm, I remember it was years ago. They're like, I'm not going to apologize. I said, I said, why would you not? I was less seen at this point. So I was just more kind of, we we're on par. And I was mm. like, why would you apologize? So I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I need to apologize. And I said, well, they're human. And I think you've made a mistake. That's, that's hurt them. So I think the nice thing is they would be apologizing. But then they didn't. So I and I couldn't demand them to apologize. I just kind of Yeah, communicate.
2: And I think I think what's really important is that we model the behaviour that we want for our young people and our children. So it, it standing in that position shows them that we're authentic in relationship, that we're genuine, that we're it's okay to get things wrong and then we can do something about it. We don't have to be perfect all of the time and because we're not. And that's that's the reality of it, isn't it? I think.
1: No, definitely, definitely. So I first kind of came across. um I would I found an article on my favorite website. Sec Ed is my favorite website. I find so many things on <laughs> it. Um, and there was an okay. article. There was an article that was entitled "Behavior and the Sub." Well, the sub, yeah, behavior colon fight the flames, not the smoke. And this yeah. article, this article struck a chord with me because I've done a show previously. Little, little plug here. I did a show on the phrase "unmet needs" a while ago. Um, yeah. I, think, I think, I think the show was roughly maybe about a month ago, maybe plus. Because it had done this, this phrase had done the rounds on Twitter, and I was just asking. Well, I was talking about how either helpful or hindering that phrase is for, for a classroom teacher. But then also the phrase when it comes to if you're like an actual pastoral focus member of staff, I think the phrase has a different relevance to you. So, and in this mm-hmm. article, this article starts by talking about the difficult and challenging class and behaviour that we can often often see in schools, and we're saying, well, we get why we have the zero tolerance approach, but that zero tolerance approach can be very counterproductive because there can always be and often is underneath the behaviour some sort of underlying need that is always kind mm-hmm. of referenced unmet need they talk about and I think the one side of the argument that you get from classroom teachers so we're not talking about heads of year or pastoral mentors or anything like that a classroom teacher saying how helpful is it for me as a classroom teacher to 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 be kind of hit with this unmet needs phrase when all I've got is an hour to try and teach these guys science and there's one child who's being difficult and challenging so as Uh a what would you yeah what would you say to a classroom teacher who's saying what can I do about this one child who's difficult challenging they're telling me they've got unmet knees but I've got 20 other nine kids in the classroom so how how what can I do to to make sure I can do do right by this child but also remember that I'm only limited to an hour a week essentially what can what would you say in that situation
2: Oh, gosh, there's lots, I think. Um, Well, the first thing I would do is validate the teacher's experience. You know, it's tough when you've got somebody who's um, disruptive or acting out in a particular way and it's disrupting your lesson and you've got to get through the content, you've got to deliver to curriculum levels, you've, you've got to meet the needs of everybody in your class. And that's difficult and it's hard for anybody. So absolutely getting what that teacher's going through is really important and communicating that, that we get it, you know, it's hard. The other thing I would say is that um, sitting underneath any behaviour, if we view behaviour as a communication and then we think about that negative behaviour being a communication of unmet need, what we know about that behavior often is they come from survival strategies that that young person has developed. Now, often those survival strategies have been there a long time and they've supported that young person to cope with life. They're not always socially acceptable. I know that. Um, and all of the evidence of what our licensed practitioners say to us is that those behavior, that behavior that's communicated or the behavior that's being shown to us is often socially unacceptable. And it's often to make adults go away or back off or um, to draw them into the relationship with a young person. But they don't always have the most appropriate ways of doing that. They haven't learned those yet. So we get these survival strategies to notice or to get the adult to go away, whatever they're designed to do. Um, They're not, they're not a choice for that young person. They've developed earlier and they've stood them in good stead up until this point because they've got adults to go away or come closer or to make their peers go away or come closer often. Um, So, I wouldn't describe it as challenging behaviour. And I think if you can make a language shift around this, you could describe it as distressed behaviour. There's a level of distress in that young person because of the unmet need that's there. We don't know at what, what stage that unmet need developed. Um, and I re- I think it's really important to acknowledge that the Thrive Approach is a non-judgmental stance for parents. Um, it's absolutely key that... Um, we acknowledge life throws stuff for all of us all of the time. We do the best that we can with the resources we've got available to us. Um, and nearly everybody I come across is, a, you know, most people are doing the best that they can with what they've got. Um, and that distressed behaviour, if we can start to think about it as that, we can then stand in the position of empathy and compassion with our children and young people and go uh, and then offer that validation you know i get that this is tough um if it's a particular type of lesson we could acknowledge that you know it's hard for you in this lesson this subject is difficult you find it uncomfortable what i need to do is be able to support you with what it is that you need to be able to settle in this class so the conversation around it becomes different but we need to attune to what's happening a little like you with the 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 referee Khalil when he didn't match you there was a misattunement and it went wrong and actually we need to step into that to be able to attune to what's going on for that young person
1: Uh, very deep I like it no but it is you are are, (laughs) oh no it is I was just I was just listening I was listening and I feel like this is something that sometimes comes more naturally to some practitioners in schools but not naturally to others so then how do we so I can think of numerous schools where you've got people for whom this, that kind of conversation, where it's the more of the kind of nurturing conversation, it's the, it's the empathetic conversation, it's the, I'm here to support you rather than I'm here to tell you off conversation. I feel yeah. like that's not, I feel like, I don't know people in the room feel that, like, but I feel like that's not, that's, that, is that something that can be taught is my question. Because I, like, I feel like some people are more natural about it. It's just they're that they're that way inclined. But so others might I, th-
2: not- I I totally get that some of the adults are out in school settings. You know, stress levels are high. They're meeting um, mental health needs in our young people more than ever before. And particularly, you know, we are two years after we first went into lockdown. I can talk about resilience later as well, if that's helpful. But two years into this pandemic and we're seeing the mental health issues rising and people being asked to do more and more. Um, uh, What I absolutely know from the evidence and based in neuroscience and attachment theory is that empathy comes from being empathised with. So if we want somebody to develop empathy, we need to empathise with them. And that teacher that comes and says, I don't want this student in my class or somebody else needs to manage them, they need a referral somewhere else or they need to go to, you know, the specialist provision that the school might offer is absolutely in a position of saying, I've reached the edge of my window tolerance with this young person and I want somebody to help me. And that behavior is communicating a need and we need to empathize with that. You know, it's really difficult when you've got somebody in your class who's doing that or behaving in that way, what is it that we can do to support them? And, And empathy for everybody is really key. Um, uh, that I'm going to go back to your example of the referee again, if I may. You yeah, know, no, I'm, empathize, I I'm going to empathise with him. He didn't know how to do that relationship with you, so he stepped into something that might be termed banter, I guess. And uh, actually,
1: he was trying. Yes, yeah. he
2: was, yes, to, yeah. he was. <laughs> and actually he got it wrong, didn't he? And I'm wondering if we could support him. have the proper conversation that he would of treating you like the individual that you are being authentic in relationship how do we support him to do that and it's tough when we make people we go to the place of let's make people laugh because then it will be all right and you may well work with colleagues and children and young people who do that um so how do we shine a light gently on that and help him to shift his position
1: interesting yeah I would never I wouldn't have had the time that's the thing I was about to say I wouldn't have had the time which again is part of the part of the issue isn't it so it's like in an ideal in an ideal uh-huh. world in an ideal world I mean, this sounds like it feels like I'm being counseled I like this um in an, in, an <laughs> ideal, <laughs> in an ideal world I would have taken some time to speak to the referee on a kind of a one-to-one but I didn't have the time mm. I had stuff to, I, I had stuff to do I had a game to play and I had other things to focus on and I feel like that's a metaphor for school in a time. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like that's, yeah, that's absolutely. the same thing that happens in school. You spoke about the teacher who says, ah, oh, like it sounds like they've kind of given up on the child. The child's caused so many issues in the lesson for whatever reason, the relationship's broken down. That teacher's like, you know what? I just can't. Can you just take can that kind of, can you just take the child, please? I've got other things to do. And that's, that's the same thing that kind of happened in the referee scenario. And I was like, I just haven't got the time to deal with this right now. And I, yeah. I, I prioritised the more immediate game that I had to play as opposed to thinking, right, well, I need to rebuild. The re- Cause I didn't want to rebuild the relationship. I had no, I've no interest in this guy. I'm not going to see it again. Um, but it is a it is a metaphor for what does happen in schools. It is, a, yeah, I feel it like that, it, does, it does happen, doesn't it? You've got teachers who are very, very busy Yeah,
2: absolutely. And if,
1: if you've got one, and if, and uh, again, this, it goes back to kind of like, I was speaking to someone in school. It was actually a, um, it was a member of the site team and he was asking me, he was saying, cause I teach maths and he was saying, oh, you don't teach. He said to me, oh, aren't you so busy? How do you get time to actually teach the thing that you No, He said something like, you're all so busy. How'd you get time to actually do the thing you got into teaching for? And I said to him, do you know what? I didn't get it. but to be honest, I said, I didn't get into teaching to teach maths. I got into teaching to work with kids. And that, um, and, I, and he said, mm, okay. And I said, I don't know if you're fine. You won't find every teacher saying the same thing, but I feel like you notice who really like if there's an opportunity to real to rebuild a relationship some teachers will kind of really really take the opportunity or make an opportunity but others will say you know what Uh, not my priority I'd rather make sure people learn my subject and that that you've got two you've got two different types of people in school and you've got to try and manage Mm. them
2: There's, there's do you think there's a payoff though there somewhere along the line because or what I'm wondering is that um if we don't address the unmet need of that individual, that behaviour is going to continue. It won't change. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever changed because somebody said, don't do that anymore. There has to be, you have to meet the unmet need. Um, Because if that was the case, Khalil, you know, people said, don't do that anymore. I wouldn't be eating my chocolate Easter eggs that you so eloquently described earlier. I might not... um have a glass of gin on a Friday night or whatever, you know, what whatever that might be because somebody told me not to. I, mm. I don't, I don't respond to that. What I respond is to the unmet need. that's being met underneath that behavior, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for that young person, for that behavior to stop, we need to meet the unmet need that sits underneath. Yeah, I've
1: had um, to-
2: And that, and then you'll have the long-term impact of them not doing it anymore. They won't, Th- that need for the behaviour or the survival strategy will dissipate mm. rather than um, saying we're going to, if we punish or we're punitive or we deliver that, actually what happens is that behaviour will continue. It could even escalate, would be yeah. my suggestion.
1: Okay, so Tom, Mr Tom Rogers has actually taken the words out of my mouth. Um, so I was going to ask a question, because we've you've yeah. you've seen both sides now, so you've worked you've worked in schools, but also you've worked you're working with schools, kind of outside from outside looking uh-huh. in. So, are we yeah. saying that every every bit of either distri- well, you I know you called it distressing behavior. Teachers often call it either challenging behavior, disruptive behavior. Does every example of disruptive behavior um, signal some sort of unmet need that the unmet need under the surface, or is there a case where the child just wants to muck about for the sake of mucking about?
2: OK, so it depends on where the where the developmental gaps are that they've got. I would uh, there's a couple of riders around this. So if you've got early developmental gaps, um, particularly um, developmentally, I would say um, before you were able, you know, thinking cognitively. So we could talk about naught to three and you might think, how is that affecting a teenager? But if you've got developmental gaps be- uh, between in that age group and. Um, you're highly likely to not be choosing the behaviour that you're using. Um, so those, that developmental need, you can't think it through yet. So they're responding rather than thinking about it. There may be some element of choice, but we still need to recognise why that might happen. What's sitting underneath that behaviour? Why are they mucking about? How do we um, respond to that? And what's driving it? Is it the relationship with the adult? Is it the connection with the peers? Is there a need for novelty? Because we know that in our teenagers, particularly if we're thinking about it, um, we're thinking about um, the need for that level of novelty to happen or the excitement, the drama. Those sorts of uh, incidents can drive the need or meet the need within our teenagers developmentally. So sometimes that's why we see the behaviour. We can start to understand some of that if we start to think about um, what are the needs of our teenagers and how are they how are they responding. You know, connecting with peers is one of the most significant things that happens in adolescence, and we need to separate out some of the things that happen in adolescence, like um, puberty, is very different a uh, different concept to the concept of. Um, the change that we see in adolescent brains and we see developmentally um, that cognitive brain um, start to be overtaken by the limbic system which is the emotional part of the brain so we see developmentally that has to happen because there's significant changes in the adolescent brain um, and incidentally um, for those of you who are listening or are in the younger age bracket um, all the research now says that our adult brain isn't necessarily settled until at least about 25 um, and um, possibly 30. But actually, what we've got is this drive for, from the emotional state of the um, adolescent. And us as adults functioning from a cognitive place. So there's a mismatch often that we'll see this emotional response from the teenager and an adult saying think about it and the teenager saying i'm feeling it or communicating that through their behavior and we need to meet that through the validation that i talked about earlier in order for them to access their thinking brain Mm. Um, and really important that we get that neuro or the change that happens in the brain at at that developmental stage it's really key for our for our young people to, and for us as adults to understand that, that um, they f- function far more from the seat of their emotions. So we see lots more um, emotional behaviour and not being able to think it through. We also see that significant rise in connecting with their peers um, and moving away from adults to connect with their peers is much more um significant for our adolescents they they um may come back we talk about the adult role as being the rock and resource what we want for our teenagers who are doing it developmentally okay is to move away be with their peers come back to the adults when they need that support but peers become much more significant for our teenagers
1: mm, no I, I i i hear you on that one tom's we've got some questions fired into the chat i don't if, can you see i'm assuming okay can see
2: go for it yeah, yeah, so, it
1: can. yeah, so Tom said, he said, so how do you, as a secondary school teacher, differentiate and say, so I imagine he's talking about we've got two kids, both displaying the same disruptive slash challenging slash potentially distressed behavior. How do you differentiate to say, oh, there's an unmet need there, or oh, there's not an unmet need there. They're just being a teenager that wants to muck about. Oh, no, they're a child of trauma. Like how, well, trauma is obviously, that, that's a bit more extreme. But how do you... Yes. As a, as a classroom teacher, so not someone like me who's a DSL when I know a lot more about the situation, how does a classroom teacher differentiate there because he's saying his experience tells him that a big chunk don't have an unmet need and they just want to mess about because they can and I'm going to add they just probably want to just have a few jokes and make the day a little bit more interesting because so I think that is also well partner. that's
2: possible yeah yeah so that that's that element of novelty that I talked about um. I would take, I would respond to that by saying what I'm noticing is that you're doing this. I'm wondering what it is you need for me to settle to your work. So we start to shine a light on some of that behavior, but we do it gently and with dignity because Mm. I think part of the difficulty is if we shine a light on it in front of everybody else for our teenagers, the level of anxiety and embarrassment goes up significantly. So we start to escalate it. So meeting it quietly Digni- with uh, protecting that level of dignity you might not feel you want to when their behavior can be as um socially challenging if you like or socially unacceptable as it might be but absolutely meeting that with the vital relational functions so yeah. we talk about validating it you know what this subject is tricky for you i get that and everybody needs to learn and here it's not okay to disrupt it so what is it that you're needing from me now yeah.
1: so i can you feel- help you yeah, to be fair, I always, one thing that I've always done over there as I've got more and more experience is when, um, when someone's done something in the classroom, to a point where I think, do you know what, I've got to send you out. I've got to speak to you on a one-on-one outside the classroom. My first question, I think 99% of the time now, is what's going on? Like my, that's just, but my first question is, I don't do the first bit of speaking. If a child's been mucking about in the lesson for whatever reason, maybe they're not paying attention, they're not focusing, they've chucked something across the room, I've just asked them what's going on. And what I've found over the years is that usually enables me to, under, well, to shine a light on what might be the root cause. It could be. What often is the case is yeah. someone, someone could be, they could be grumpy from come, something that something happened at lunchtime or break time that was put them in a really foul mood. Um, and then they start to tell me mm-hmm. about. It. I'm like, right, okay, cool. So now I understand a bit more. It's actually nothing to do with the lesson. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do the with the adults
2: that's in the room. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know what I mean, so I yeah. think that one thing that whenever whenever I reflect when I speak to younger or more inexperienced teachers about what they call in inverted commas is behaviour management stuff. Um, one of the things that you often when when I'm going to pick up issues and I and I observe their interactions, the teacher does a lot of the talking. And I get that. I understand why the teacher would, but at the same time, it's it's beneficial to hear the child and just say what what has been going like to talk me through what happened, please. Because sometimes what can happen also is something happened prior that you didn't even see, because lots of stuff happened yeah. behind lots of stuff happens behind our back. But then also it could be something that is more deep rooted. So maybe just asking the question may enable. The adult to work out whether it's a child that just wants to muck about and have a laugh or whether it's a child that's struggling with something else and is instead just acting out as a either a defense yeah i c- think i
2: think yeah I, I, oh you've hit on something really important there clearly i'm going to come back to it let me just write down defense i need to remember <laughs> that so i can come back to it
1: yeah. um
2: there was uh, something i was going to think about is that um, I, I'm going give to give you a, a, a way of and give your audience a way of thinking about the conversation that you can have with um, young people, even adults as well. Use it all the time. It's one of the strategies I use. And it's the acronym WIN. So W-I-N. So I'm going to use them in a slightly different order, though. So um, they stand for Wonder, Imagine and Notice. So um, you might have your conversation. One of the reasons we do it this way is because when we're out of our thinking brain, it's really difficult to answer questions. And sometimes you'll get young people who shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know, because um, they're out of their thinking brain and they can't do cause and effect when that happens. They can't think it through. So one of the key ways that we can start to um, respond is to use wonder, imagine and notice. You know, what I've noticed is when you come to this lesson, this is happening. Um, I'm imagining that there's something going on that's that's the reason that that's happening. I'm wondering if it's this. So rather mm-hmm. than asking a question, we do the almost the thinking out loud, if that makes sense. So you're lending your thinking brain to the young person who's not thinking things through. So being able to say... Um, Oh, well, what I've noticed is when you come to this lesson with this teacher, you find it really difficult to settle or you you stand up or you make jokes. What I'm wondering is if you find the lesson a bit hard. I'm imagining it's difficult if that happens. So you leave the gap then for the young person to fill in for you.
1: Right. And they might
2: say, no. Oh, I'm really sorry. I've got that wrong for you then. I, I thought that might have been what's going on. Can you help me understand a little more? Or they might go, yes. And then start to fill in some of the the gaps that um, is happening, or that you hear.
1: Interesting. This is real pastoral CPD plug, cheeky plug. Um, <laughs> but that. But the thing. The thing is. But genuinely, genuinely though, I'm we got a promise. We're going to have to take a break for the adverts and the, and the sponsors in a moment. But genuinely, though, okay. This this type of to, to that acronym and that approach to conversations, like I was saying before, isn't something that comes naturally. To a lot. If you have an experience, if your school experience wasn't being spoken to like that, and if your home experience isn't being no. spoken or wasn't being spoken to like that, how are you expected to go into a into profession around working with kids and then act in that way without some form of CPD on things like how to interact when situations become a bit challenging? So it's this. This again is another reason why I'm just saying there's just a dearth of or lack of the word, better word. There's a lack of. CPD for pastoral for the softer skills. I've thought yeah, of that. So if, is, yeah. Is lacking,
2: it? Yeah. So if you get if you can get the training for staff to understand, hey, at the types of conversations they need to have, to understand the basic neuroscience that's happening for our adolescents. So what's happening in their brain that they're triggered more, that their amygdalas on high alert, that they're responsive to even a glance even the way that and, and often um, teenagers used to tell me when i was working in settings they would turn to me and say we don't like the way they look at me have you have, ever had yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he had looked never. at me yeah. you know they say they looked at me and actually they're much more percep. there's a higher perception i think for our teenagers i don't think i know um a higher perception of the emotional state or the communication or they're much more deeply attuned to it and it triggers a response. You know, I use an example and um, my son has forgiven me for doing this, but um, he's 21 now and in university. But I always remember and I, I um, it, it's quite funny to, to recall for me, but it helps people to understand that, you know, he, he when he was 15, he's at that point where he's at a heightened emotional state. Um, his brain is developing, it's developing neuronal pathways really quickly through his relationships and experiences and um, he's had this massive pruning in his brain that's happened um, and he's much more um, emotional and and, um, in a heightened emotional state and I come home and say, um, do you think you could bring down the plates and cups and knives and forks that are in your bedroom because you know we need things to eat off and to use um and he would stomp up the up the hallway and up the stairs to his bedroom, slam the door, you know she's nagging me again, she's lecturing me, and what you see is this emotional state he's triggered by um what he perceives as a judgment or criticism, and perhaps my tone wasn't helpful at that time what i didn't what i didn't know then is that I could trigger that response in him by using a slightly sarcastic tone perhaps. And off he went, slammed the bedroom door. I've triggered a response. If I then go and tell him off for slamming the bedroom door, stomping up the stairs, we're then into that secondary behaviour and the escalation and all of that sort of thing. If I can be the parent that says, Do you know what what I know is my tone wasn't helpful then? Um, if perhaps if I'd asked him in a better way, um, he would have responded more appropriately. And that's yeah. the that's the challenge, isn't it? Around how we maintain that or how we stay on that pathway of, of um positive parenting or assertive parenting. It's really tricky. I'm a parent, you know, I fall off all the time and I yeah, get exactly. it wrong for my teenagers.
1: <laughs> Indeed. No, no, I'm the same. I've I've not got a teenager. Mine's my little one is nearly two and he's he can be annoying as hell. But um that's, <laughs> that'll be a challenge that I come across later on. So thank you so much so far. Um Lee, I've really enjoyed this conversation so far what we need to do is we need we need to pay those bills so I'm okay. we've, got a, we've got an ad break and a sponsor break which should take around eight or so minutes so it's more than enough time okay more than enough time to refuel re-energize and if you I'm gonna put myself on mute there should be a mute button um, for you as well and we can just both be on mute okay I could mute.
2: do that yeah
1: yeah so listen to the news and the ads and I'll see you on the other side and Leanne I'll get your question after the ads so see you guys on the other side of these
3: Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk
0: Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com.
3: Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding, and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at Witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
4: A report on the Russell Group University's website details the group's response to the invasion of Ukraine. The response includes scholarships for displaced students, support for academics who have fled their homes, and repurposing accommodation blocks to house refugees. Universities within the Russell Group, like many universities across the UK, have reviewed any collaborations or other links they may have had with Russia and are taking appropriate action. King's College London is working with Citizens UK on ways to bring Ukrainians to Britain as part of the Homes for Ukraine, whilst the University of Nottingham is actively looking to repurpose unused buildings to provide accommodation for refugees. Alongside this, the University of Manchester are creating an emergency fund to help provide support for students and academics displaced by the conflict, with other universities looking to provide sanctuary scholarships. Full details of the group's full response can be found on the Russell Group website. In related news, England's Secretary of State for Education has sent a letter to local authority chief executives and directors of children's services, recognising their efforts in supporting families arriving from Afghanistan and Hong Kong and those arriving as asylum seekers. The letter goes on to make it clear that those arriving into the UK following the Russian invasion of Ukraine have the right to access education and childcare. Local authorities should be looking to provide places and use flexibilities to admit above published admission numbers if necessary, as well as reminding schools of safeguarding duties and promoting the welfare of all children. A copy of the letter can be found on the government website. Wales Online reports on the huge problems faced by the country schools as a result of COVID. More than 15% of school staff in some parts of the country are absent, and there is a lack of supply cover to stand in. Head teachers have said they are concerned for pupils and their attainment, with COVID restrictions being eased in the community, having a major impact as infections rise. The Association of School and College Leaders warned that staff are crawling towards the end of term and that there are fears amongst many school leaders that the situation will continue into the next term. Staff absence levels have been so high in a number of schools that whole year groups have been sent home to work online because teachers who test positive are following advice to self-isolate but many teachers report they have felt unwell and would have not been able to attend anyway. In Grimsby, a school crossing patroller who is thought to be England's longest-serving lollipop lady has retired after 57 years. In Africa, 23 countries are yet to fully reopen schools, with more than 400 million schoolchildren from across the continent affected. A UNICEF report released this week warns that education risks becoming the greatest divider as the pandemic enters its third year. It points out that 147 million children missed more than half of their in-person schooling over the past two years, which amounts to two trillion hours of lost in-person learning globally. The report also warns that as the pandemic enters its third year, the situation in schools across Africa cannot just go back to normal. The continent needs a new normal because the stakes are too high to do anything else. The full report can be found on the UNICEF website. In Grimsby, a school crossing patroller who is thought to be England's longest-serving lollipop lady, has retired after 57 years. Beryl Quantrill, 85, started work in 1964 and has helped generations of youngsters to cross the roads outside of schools. Her final shift took place on Friday outside of Cleethorpe's Infant and Nursery School. Mrs Quantrill isn't giving up supporting local youngsters altogether, however, as she has been invited into the school to sit with the children to hear them read. This has been your Teacher's Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with
5: Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teacher's Talk Radio. Hello. This week I'm going to look at technology and supporting us getting lunch. Why? Because I asked every teacher I met last week if they had lunch regularly and most of them said no. The reason being they're too busy most days. Now, right off the bat, I'm not going to discuss any types of diet. This is just about getting lunch. Simple ways to get calories in to power the body. As always, I've tested these things out for you and added my humble opinion. 1st and with zero extra cost using the technology of the freezer. You can freeze a sandwich. I quite like this idea as it stopped me eating a sandwich in the car on the way to a school. If I know a sandwich is there, it calls to me. Calls to me. It being frozen meant a hat to wait. The downside is making the sandwich. However, throwing 10 slices of bread down, adding filling and then into a Ziploc bag would be quite easy on a Sunday evening. You might need quite a bit of space in your freezer though. Next, I used a trusty thermos mug and noodles. I thought it was a good idea, but unlike a sandwich that you can eat on the go, I needed a fork and then had to consider not dripping it on my tie, so I actually had to stop and eat. So not as simple as a frozen sandwich, but I did have a hot lunch. Now hold on to your hats. I tried this again. I did enjoy a hot lunch, so I smashed the noodles up before I put the water in the second time around. That day, I drank my lunch. No need to find a fork. Lid off. Quick swig of noodles. Genius. The downside I can see is washing the mug. I know I'll find it on the draining board waiting to be washed when I want to get out the door. Finally, I tried a snack bar. You can get these quite cheap online and you can find them to match most dietary needs. It was definitely the easiest option, but would be the most expensive over time. For me, it didn't feel as lunch-like, if I was being totally honest, but it did the job of rapid calorie input on the go. So, in conclusion, if you're not having lunch, why not try one of these ideas? You will definitely feel better for it. PS, I googled International Lunch Day, and it actually exists. However, it's on the 10th of March, so we've missed it. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you have for your lunch. Two
0: Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse
1: on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon. It is now 1.59 on Sunday the 3rd of April and you're still tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. So far, I've been joined by the wonderful Lee Pritchard who's the head of UK Regional Development at Thrive Approach. We've been discussing what schools can do to better support their students' social, emotional and mental health needs, but also how teachers can obviously deal with the behaviours that they present. Live from London... This is the Sunday
0: Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio.
1: Wonderful. Half an hour to go. And in that ad break, eight minutes was enough time for me to go to the fridge, get out half an Easter egg and devour the entire thing. I've absolutely annihilated the Easter egg. I think there's a few crumbs. Here's a question. Here's a a real question, Uh, Lee. How do you eat your Easter eggs? And people in the chat, how do you eat your Easter egg? Because I feel like there's some different techniques going on here. What do you do, Lee? Oh,
2: I definitely keep my chocolate in the fridge. It's the best place.
1: Corre- but I don't
2: think I, not everybody agrees with me. I would eat the outside first.
1: <laughs> what what the outside for the whole thing's an outside. How can you not eat the outside? It,
2: well, no. Sometimes they come with the goodies inside the egg, don't That's they?
1: What you mean so you have so you have the actual chocolate egg <laughs> first and the goodies afterwards.
2: Afterwards, yeah, definitely.
1: But, but then the actual eat. <laughs> this is the bit: the actual eating of the chocolate egg. Are you the kind of person who would like? Um, break off little shards of chocolate and then use the half shell as a bit of a makeshift bowl and then eat the shards from the bowl or do you just break oh. them straight off and then eat them straight away? You never, <laughs> maybe you never thought that in depth about the way you eat your Easter eggs, but this is an art. There's an art No,
2: to probably not. But um, yeah, I'd probably catch it in the other half because I wouldn't want to drop any.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most sexual thing to do personally. So I, my way of doing it is I punch the Easter egg um, down okay. the sea. I crack the I try to punch it to crack the to crack the egg slightly, then I break the pieces off as if like it's like a bit of a crumbling um avalanche, mm-hmm. and I break them off into the into the other half of the shells a nice bowl. Then I eat those, and then what I've just done now is with the with the final half, well, as I said only two halves, with the second half, I've just broken that off piece by piece. And that's how I've um, that's how I eat my Easter egg. And I think that's the only way to do it. But I did once know a person who like bit they used to bite into the Easter egg and just eat it as if it's like a oh huge wow. cho- eat it like it's a huge chocolate bar, and that used to really really bother me. Um, but I did know someone that did, used to do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, just on a I random think you know time. way
2: too much about Easter eggs, maybe.
1: I, I don't, I, Lee, I don't think you know enough. That's, I,
2: I, <laughs> That's true. Perhaps I need to find out over Easter.
1: <laughs> so, we had the, when our, before this show, whenever I think about mental health, um, there's Leanne put a great question in chat, and I want to speak about parents because uh-huh. I, feel in my role, I feel like, unfortunately, one of the biggest barriers... To the children feeling supported in their entire kind of, I don't know, on throughout the day, can sometimes be their own parents. And but Leanne, let's go to Leanne's question. So Leanne has actually asked, "How do we get parents that don't see the behaviour challenges to see it and get on board?" I don't. Leanne might need to clarify, but I feel like she she's either asking parents that don't, eat, Leanne, is clever. to clarify. Actually, these are asking parents that don't even know that their child is displaying challenging behaviour. But for me also, the nuance of it for me is, what about when the challenging behaviour that we're seeing in school is as a result of some sort of problem in the home that the parents are playing a part in, if that makes sense? Like, how do we manage a situation where we've got... So let's see if Leanne <laughs> clarified. Uh, yeah, Leanne.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, that one she said. <laughs>
1: I think she means the one where she's saying that parents just are blind to the behavior challenges. They don't know or don't want to know. They just, seems like they've just switched off from their own child's behavioral difficulties. Leanne's asked, you got any advice about how to, to get them on board?
2: I think, well, I think we, we have to maintain the stance of empathy and compassion that I'm talking about for our children and young people for each other, but for parents as well. Often, um, it's been my experience as a senko, in particular, when I've been working with um, a child or young person that's had difficulties or those earlier interruptions, we call them in Thrive. So if they've got gaps in their experience that they can fall back into um, when they're in difficulty or um, there are key times in life as well. Uh, We can see parents with similar types of difficulties. So then you can start to understand how um, the young person develops that. Sometimes, you know, often the parents are doing the best that they can with what they've got available to them and the resources that they've got. Um, And I talk about meeting each other with vital relational functions. Um, Don't know. I I wonder if that's because, um, you know, If it's behaviour that the parents are using or survival strategies that they've got, it might not be in their conscious awareness that they do it. So um, it might be difficult to spot that in their child. I'm also trying to imagine into the emotional landscape of the parents that we work with or the ones that you see most frequently that, you know, for them, it's really tricky. Life is hard. And then trying to meet the needs of somebody else can be hard when you're in that difficulty. Um an understanding or the don't want to know bit um, if you if it's in your conscious awareness or you've you've had that brought to you, you then may may feel that it's a judgment about you depends on the the way that the information is communicated to you as a parent um, and you know that question that schools often ask or teachers can ask is, is there something wrong at home? The way that we ask that and the judgment that can sit in it can be really difficult and tricky for parents to manage. What's really important is that we can stay in a place of that empathy and compassion and and try to seek to understand. You know, we can acknowledge that it's really tricky when this happens and from their perspective, what is it that they understand is happening? And just listen more and be in that... Um, or offer that validation so that parents can feel that this is another individual that gets what it's like. They're much more likely to build that relationship with you and to start to have that conversation.
1: Mm. Leanne, she's she's Leanne's gone on to mention that she's talked. She's got a lot of first-time parents in a reception class as well. So Leanne's what must be teaching in primary. So this is primary, yeah. not. Primary is not my area of expertise, but I can imagine that in primary, you're going, you're going to have a situation where the child, Leanne, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine the child might behave very differently in primary school than they do at home. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's where the parents
2: I, are. I would say, uh, yeah, it, it, possibly. You may have some children who've worked out that. Um, I can be this way in this context and this way in this context. And they can differentiate between the two. You may have some children who are still learning those early developmental stages. And what we know is that early development is very fluid. And we talk about learning within time and thrive. So we have these children who are not to four learning, all, having these, all these experiences and relationships and starting to learn. But we might have children who are leaving their parents in the morning, with a level of distress. So almost like at that baby level where they're experiencing that emotional state of of leaving the parent and having that distress around leaving the parent. And then they step into playing with other children. They might feel a little more comfortable with that. Then they might get pulled into a task with the teacher, so they're doing some cognitive experience, that's okay. Then they might remember that they're missing mum or dad or the key adult that's in their life and get a level of distress again. And this very fluid type of behaviour that we see as as with our very smallest children. Um, I would also say that they're learning, so we would expect them to get it wrong. And it's how we help them to understand what they're doing and how we support them to, to, um, develop that. And, um, shining a light gently on that behavior and saying, you know, what I noticed is when you come into school or you come into class, you don't sit with the other children. And I'm wondering what that's about now I can help you with that. Do you want to hold my hand? Do you want to come and sit with me? So we start to pull them into relationship. Um, Uh, The other thing I would say that um, is really important um, and I'd written down earlier as we were chatting just to remind myself to say it um, was that we're wired for connection from birth. When we're born into this world, the umbilical cord is cut and then it's down to the adults who are around us to meet the needs of that baby as they grow and develop. So we are born wired for connection. Some children and young people have the most socially unacceptable ways of asking for that connection, but what they're asking for is connection, all the same. So, how do we offer it? And we hear this phrase. I am going to challenge um, people with language again. I said about challenging behaviour and changing yeah. it to distress behaviour. We hear the phrase "attention seeking" all of the time, yeah. and what I would say to to any teacher or adult or parent that's alongside a child. Is to think about connection needing, um, and they might not yet have the skills they need to get that connection. I know lots of adults who ask for connection in inappropriate ways too, and developmentally they just haven't learned that yet.
1: No, you're right. That that new that that subtle change in language even makes me reflect on. It makes everyone. If, if you check, yeah. If you check, if you said, "Oh, that child is attention seeking," or you say that child need, that child is in need of connection. They can they that child is displaying can be displaying the exact same behaviors but can be looked on in one in one light very positively as a child that's almost not not a victim but um what was I was gonna say I don't know what the word is but the one that's in need of support rather than the one that's trying to just yeah doing you so know what I mean so that that change of language is, is crucial but then um and then Liang goes I think it's about asking for love too um especially the little ones um
2: Oh,
4: do you um,
1: know
2: that I, I'm so touched that Leanne says that because I think um, teachers can feel really uncomfortable with that word at times. But actually, that's what they are. That's what what is about, isn't it? To feel that connection and to be pulled into relationship by another person. And they want that from the, the adults, for the, especially for the young children as they come into school and as they continue. You know, I talked about my son earlier and um, he was leaving his secondary school. And one of his teachers gave him a memento and said, this is for you. To re-, uh, he was in a very small class for his A-levels. So there was a, a small number of students in his class. But the teacher noticed and gave him something to remember the connection and what he could take away from him. And he still has it now when he's doing his master's. That's how significant that thing was. And he was um, 18 at the time. Um, but absolutely, you know, our little children going into school are looking at the adults going, connect with me. And some of them haven't yet learned how to do that um, positively or with in relationship. So they're learning about it.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And just, Leanne, in resp- my response to you, I can only, the problem is with me, I can only think from a secondary school mindset because that's my area. Um, but I know if I ever had a situation, I don't know how applicable it is to primary, but if I ever had a situation where we were aware of a child displaying either challenging or distressing or whatever kind of confrontational behaviour in school and the parents seem to be either in denial of it or claiming that they don't believe it or whatever else... Um, In secondary school climate, what we would do is we'd ask, we'd be very transparent with the parent and just say that we're going to ask teachers to send in um, just a summary of how this young person's been getting on in terms of positives, areas for improvement, blah, 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 blah. And then we'd use that. We'd obviously then have a meeting in person and use that evidence to then broker the meeting and then, and then make sure we're all on the same, we're all looking at the same evidence saying, right, what can we now do about this going forward in line with our schools? Whatever we want for your child. We all want the best for your child. Teachers are saying X, Y, and Z. Positives are X, negatives Y, and then we've got some Z in there as well. Um, so I think for any parent that's in denial, in secondary we would get a lot of other inputs from the teachers. I don't know how applicable that is in primary because from what I gather, um, it's often maybe only one or two teachers that they actually interact with um, specifically from what I remember, I feel like primary school, you have one teacher and you have a random PE teacher that every now and again that comes in and teaches you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how applicable it is, but I think...
2: Can I, can, yeah, well, can I say something around um, the meetings and the conversations that we have as well? And yeah, this yeah. might help Diane. Um, uh, feeling safe is our primary need above all else. It sits underneath everything. Feeling safe in the world, feeling safe in the place, in our bodies. Um, if we can ensure that those meetings that we have with parents and the interactions that we have, uh, we think about their level of safety, and um, um, think about who the people are, where they sit in, how they're connecting, so that the adult feels safe, they're much more open to the relationship in that situation.
1: Mm. Yeah, how often do you think teachers think about keeping the parents safe? I don't feel like that's ever on. I know in my perspective; it's not one of my, the, the first things I think about i um, not saying I don't create an unsafe environment, but at the same time, I've, maybe it comes naturally, but at the same time, I don't know if it does to everyone. Thinking about the the parents' perspective and making sure that they they feel comfortable in the meeting as well is, is important, surely, just as you said. Yeah,
2: absolutely, it is, yeah, because we, if we don't feel safe, we're much more likely to be triggered mm. and to come out fighting and, I mean, with words, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the other things can happen too but you know parents can go to that place of um verbally shouting or because they've been triggered by the lack of safety that's provided in the meeting and they don't and they feel threatened
1: the mm. says, sometimes I feel like I think more about how I say things to parents than my interactions with the kids fair enough I think, uh, well,
2: potentially I... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: so then yeah good I'll point just... Leanne Indeed. Just going like a little bit of a segue then. So what about, I'm just throwing out things that I, I have to deal with in my job. So what about the situations where we, we have a child who the parent is continually getting in touch with school saying, can you please help? What are going to do? What are we are going to do? Help my child. They're, they're struggling, whether it's anxiety. Well, it's the child's having a lot of, it's either it's defiance at the moment. It's like willing Really, really like ostensible defiance—not even in a rude way. Just they know what they're, they know what's being asked of them. They're just not going to do it, and um, they're not going to be rude about it. They're just not going to do it, and they're going to like they, the child. Also displays a lot of um, anxiety. Has to have a lot of timeouts. Struggles with with focusing. Blah blah blah. Lots of things going on. And when we speak to the child, when whatever they all the thing that the child speaks about is home, and also the split between their parents. But then we, what we have at the moment is the parent that often kind of like pushes back to the school to be like, what can you do to help my child? What can you do to help my child? When all I want to say is, I think you need to look at home for, in the nice possible way, like I obviously wouldn't say it in this phrase, but what I'm trying to say is, his home isn't secure at the moment. He doesn't feel either emotionally or whatever other type of, any type of thing doesn't feel secure at home. And he's bringing those feelings into school. So how how do you advise broken that conversation without trying to because it's not our, we're not social workers. It's not our job to try and um to unpick the 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 things going on in the parents' lives that might have an impact. So it's a bit more tricky. But how do you broker that mm. conversation without a parent to open their mind about you know what, the, the the behaviors you're now seeing of your child, yes, we need to try and help, but unfortunately, you as a parent and the the co-parenting or the split or whatever you want to call it, has caused this in some shape or form so how do you get how do you get parents to realize that
2: so i would i think there's lots of different bits to what you're talking about so that young person is experiencing a level of loss because there's been a split in the pair in the parents that family is separated Um, and You might not think of it in terms of loss but if there's less contact or cessation of contact that can be as equally as painful when that happens um for us as individuals when we experience that cessation of contact that loss that we have we lose the capacity for feel-good chemicals in our brains and our bodies and what happens is that we can um we start to see behavior connected to that and providing that level of safety and that connection to a a safe adult in the school setting will support that to recover. Um, If that child or young person was relatively okay before that loss and um, happened, they will recover and get back to where they were before. Um, A little more tricky if there's developmental gaps and there were difficulties prior to that loss and separation happening. Supporting the young person to talk about it frequently, if that's what they need to do, is really important. And and through loss, what we see is this shift between engaging in life and then focusing on the loss. Engaging in life and focusing on the loss. And the young person, or even us as adults, going back and forth in this model until they find a new way to be. And I would suggest that both the child and the young person and the adult are yet to find a new way to be in the relationship that's happening. So you've got increased anxiety for the the young person, but increased anxiety for the adult, which is why they're probably seeking connection to the school saying, help me, help me. I need, I need support with my child. So we've got this dual thing going on. Um, it's really important that the, uh, the young person has somebody to talk to that understands that, can validate their experience and help them to make sense of it. Um, what we don't want is them trying to sit on it, if you like, or pushing it to one side because what's going to happen is they'll come back to bite them on the bum later on mm. if we do that. So addressing it now is the most important thing. For the adult, it's about seeking to understand Is there some support we can signpost them to so that they can get that need met or even helping them to understand that safety is really important and consistency for that young person. So can they put in a a consistency around the relationship or the connection or the the um, when they're seeing the different adults and spending time so that there's a pattern and the, the young person can feel safe in the routine.
1: Yeah. I just, it's just difficult. I know from my role because I'm just trying to think that there are so many families that we deal with where this is the case and they just never, and you, you find yourself, our priority is always the child. But at the same time, we're thinking, oh, we can do everything. We, we can put so many things in place for the child in school. But then if they keep going home to, a, to an environment that's more either chaotic or whatever else, then it half undoes a lot of the work. And I don't know how much time we have. As well we're teachers, I'm I'm a safeguard, and he's only one of me to then yeah. put in trying. It's just difficult. So it's all, I'm just thinking like we don't. I don't have the time to put it into essentially coaching parents. Um. So I wonder if there's is there anything oh, I don't even know what exists out there. I'm thinking out loud at the moment. But so perhaps throw...
2: the the thing that we yeah that that could happen in that particular situation is finding out if there's support available. Um, it um, often in schools that I've worked with, they've had family liaison workers right. or um, somebody who is available to fulfil that and to speak to parents. Um, it's worth exploring that as a as a setting, I think, and to think about what services are out there that you can tap into to fulfil that role, and how are you going to have the conversation? I'm I'm imagining that Khalil, you're going to be having conversations with that parent for some time to come if that young person's behavior doesn't change uh, or there isn't a shift in the pattern. So maybe better to invest in a, a thorough conversation and a, a, um, a plan with them now than think about the repeat conversations you're going to have later on.
1: Uh, no, true. No, definitely. And, no, and uh,
2: You know, it's, it's food for thought, isn't it, that if we invest in this now, we won't be having those on- ongoing conversations later on.
1: No, definitely. I've we've got um we have a uh, we have a counsellor in school actually, and then as part of uh-huh. their um, as part of their counselling stuff, and I do advise other schools to get um if you co- The problem just it's money, isn't it? This like everyone's well, trying. To- it
2: can all come down to that, can't kind of Money, yeah, I think
1: mass- massively. So we have I don't know how many schools in our situation, where we had we were trying to use staff as mentors for about two years, um, and it kind of worked. We got to a point where the needs of the children were were too acute to be dealt with by a teacher who has no specific training in anything to do with mental you can do yeah. the panadology. so I mean it gets to that point doesn't it so we have we've bought we ended up I know a lot of schools are having to buy in counselors and I know some counselors as they're part of their service they do invite parents in um to mm-hmm. then try and work with the parents if you're in a school if you're listening back to this and you're in a school where you're struggling a bit. I know that some counseling services do offer some support, some kind of outreach to parents at times, but I do find that the parents haven't been, they haven't been that receptive, if I'm honest. So it's all all very difficult, but in the end, when it comes down to it, our priority is always the child, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. if we can, in those hours that they're in the building with us, if we can do everything we can to make sure those eight or so hours are as positive as possible, then sometimes that's the most we can do if you have parents that aren't very receptive. Um, yeah
2: and I think the thing to hang on to is all the research says that getting it right for thirty percent of the time is good enough interesting so and children and young people are in school settings for more than thirty percent of the time, so food for thought i think
1: that is that is a lot of i did not know I was not aware of that statistic that yep. okay, so as long as it's so so as long as a young person feels safe, happy, listen to all those good things for nearly a third of their time that's enough to offset offset the rest essentially to what in order to make them feel what neutral or for them to be happy it's
2: it's good enough for them (laughs) to develop
1: okay okay. successfully
2: and i think that's the you know it's it's never going to be perfect i'm not the perfect parent certainly not and my parents before me weren't perfect and so on um so it's about getting it right as best you can and sometimes we fall off that pathway and sometimes it's about getting back on and saying you know what I caused the rupture and I can fix that rupture now and Mm -hmm. it's really important we've gone right back to the beginning haven't we um talking about how we can step into relationship
1: (laughs) definitely it's like it's we've come I love the full circle I think this is a great thing to to end the to kind of end this end the show on essentially the full circle bit of everything it is all about um, relationships and i hope that anyone that listens so if anyone, if anyone is tuning in now whether you're tuning in via the app or maybe you're even listening from a from a laptop or you joined late or whatever else you can listen back to this show via the website so that's ttradio.org forward slash listen back um or you can you can listen back to this and all the other pastoral cpd clicks and every other show that teacher Taught radio have to offer which is an abundance of shows all on spotify they're also on apple Podcasts. we're all over the place we're all over the place, TG Talk Radio. Um, all that's left to say, Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure having your wisdom and insight on the show this Sunday. <laughs> it's been um, a pleasure
2: to be with you. I've really oh, enjoyed
1: it. it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've learned a lot. And it's a lot of food for thought for me, even in my role, where I deal with this stuff most of the time. So hopefully anyone that does listen live or listens back who maybe hasn't thought about um, behavior and needs of children and mental, social, emotional... Uh, that was a weird order. Social, emotional, mental health of <laughs> young people. Maybe this has um, tweaked their interest a little, made them think a bit hard about the how they deal with the surface-level behaviors in their classroom. Um, because mm-hmm. we know there is often more to it, but it's about creating the spaces and also most of the time it's about creating the time to build those relationships yes. and to listen. Um, because that, that is the most long-lasting positive impact you can have on a child if they know they're going to be listened to they're more likely to build that strong relationship with you and the behavior usually improves (laughs) like definitely that's what people are most concerned about as as teachers often are um behavior often improves so listen thank you thank you thank you and thank you again Lee. it's been a pleasure um and i hope that we can stay connected and maybe yeah definitely maybe a later date you'll be back on the show to talk more and provide more pearls of wisdom about social (laughs) and mental health. Okay,
2: take care. Thank you very much. Thank
1: you very much, much, Lee. Bye. Bye
2: Bye-bye.
1: This is where I should use my transition music, but Numpty here hasn't got it ready. Oh, wait. I was too busy clicking other buttons to then click the transition music. I've not played that transition music in ages. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. So just as another reminder, that was Lee Pritchard, who's the head of UK regional development at Thrive Approach. Um, If you see any of the promotional tweets, you'll see their Twitter handle in the promotional tweets I've put out. And also on the TT Radio Twitter account, which is at TT Radio 2022. That will be our Twitter account for the next eight or so months. And then I imagine we're going to be TT Radio 2023 and so on and so forth. Maybe one day they'll realize to take the year out. Who knows? No pressure on the bosses and the people in power. I am just a lowly host. But that's the end of this week's Sunday lunch show. Next week, I've got another guest on. I can't remember who it is yet. I need to check my calendar, but I imagine it'll be another wonderful show. So please do tune in again. We're usually here on a Sunday, 1 p.m., unless something else happens. <laughs> but normally 1 till 2.30, Sunday lunch show with me, Khalil Rouse. I'll see you guys again next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio.
0: Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Wonder Imagine Notice. I'll be using that myself. I like that. Win win win. Wonder Imagine No. Seema, where have you been? This show's gonna go on for a bit. Seema, you've not been in this studio for a while. I don't know where you've been, to fair. I've not been here every single week, so I'm partly to blame. Um it's just me and you now, Seema. Leanne's still here. I think leanne's probably just put me on mute. But um, yeah, Seema, I've you've not been here for a while. I've missed you as well. I'm back, I'm back, I'm usually here, I'll be here next week. Hopefully you'll be back in this studio then as well. Catch you guys later.